I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. All right, guys, uh, week two, Eucharist. Do we still yes. want to do this? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, let, let's get to the let's get to the end of this uh, session and, and you can decide then, because uh, what I propose to do, we mentioned this in the last uh, podcast is, uh, you know, ostensibly one of the motivating factors for this Eucharistic revival was this uh, Pew study that. Uh, so, Dennis, do you know what the Pew Foundation is or Pew Research Center? I think it's called the Pew Charitable Trust, right? Is that what right. it is? I don't really know where it comes from. It's a yeah. it's a nice handy uh, thing that is the same name as the chair in the church. But... <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do with that though, does it? But church pews? I don't think so. I don't think so. You you talking? I'll look it up. Well, I'll, I'll look uh, up the no, Pew I Research. Think it's, it's a yeah, it's a research institute. It's a what do they call a it? A nonpartisan fact tank. Fact, fact tank yeah. that oh, informs fact. the public about issues, attitudes, and trends. Shaping our world. Okay. All right. Fact so, Tank was my nickname in college. <laughs> Fact Tank. <laughs> Jesse, you're so funny. Uh, so they've been doing this, as far as I can tell, right? Because I've, I've seen results of this survey for a decade, I think. And so I, it must be like every couple of years they do the same survey. That's my guess. I don't know that for sure. But they do, so, right? So then they can tr- they can track it. They can see the trends over the years by asking the same types of questions. So I don't know how often they do this, but this one is from 2019. This 2019 uh, Pew survey on what is this called on uh, religious knowledge? Okay, mm. what Americans know about religious uh, knowledge, and this is a uh, 32 question quiz, and uh, they post online. If you go to Pew Research Center, you can you can find this thing, and you can actually take the quiz. And that's what we're going to do here once we get rolling. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're going to take the quiz. And um, th- what they've done is they've they've called out about 15 of these questions, because some of them are, you know, did you go to a religious school or did you take a class on world religions and things like that? Th- those aren't in the online quiz. So uh, we're going to go through the, the 15 questions that they post for us. I did this well, myself. Earlier. Here's the first question, Chris. What were the names of the founders of the Pew Charitable Trust? That's not part of the quiz. Well, that's my question. Oh. contribution to the quiz uh Paxton, edison and washington no it was newton P-E-W- oh sorry newton pew and his wife mary anderson pew and they had a bunch of kids j howard pew mary ethel pew joseph newton pew jr and mabel pew Mirren. all right there you go i get one point for that okay back to you chris boy so they ask these 32 questions now we're going to go through 15 of them, but there's a couple I think were interest uh, that interested me. So I went through all 32 and looked at their results. Wow. So I just want to give you some of these that are not going to be in this 15 uh, uh, question thing that you guys are going to do. But this one, uh, the question is, how much do you personally know about each of the following religions? So evangelical Christianity, Catholicism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, atheism, Buddhism, Hinduism, mainline Protestantism, things like that. Which of those do people claim to know the most about? Well, who are they asking? I mean, if they're asking Christians. What does it say? 10,000 adults, 11,000 adults. 
probably so, uh, so that Christianity generally or something. No, there's no, it's, uh, it's Catholicism. So of all of these, right, the 37% asked said they know a lot about Catholicism and none of these others rose to that level. Oh. Evangelical Christianity, 27% said a lot. Mormonism, 9% said they know a lot, things like that. So the people surveyed said that they know a lot about Catholicism more than any other religion. What did they say pride goeth before a, a what? Yeah, here's another one. Wait, wait, okay. I have a, I have a, I have a yeah. question about that. Is it Catholic saying they know Catholicism or no. is it all is people saying all they know people. Catholicism? Yeah, so okay. of the roughly 11,000 people they asked, you know, you know, rate, you know, Catholicism a lot, some, not much, nothing at all, whatever. And so each of these categories had those uh, options. What I'm saying is that the in the a lot category, Catholicism was the highest. Now, I, okay. I don't work for a research center, so probably that means something that I don't think it does or whatever. But it strikes me that of all of them, Catholicism was at the top of what people know a lot about. Mm -hmm. Here's the other one. Here's the other one related to that. I think, do you personally happen to know anyone who is evangelical, Catholic, Mormon, Jewish, Muslim, an atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, mainline, Protestant? Right. Guess who uh, of all of those um, people had acquaintances that were in that category? Catholic. Catholic, I guess. 91% of Holy those God. asked knew someone who was Catholic. Nobody else hmm. was that high. Hmm. Second is uh, Jewish, then atheist and evangelical are tied after I kind of like this. This is giving yeah. me some uh, hope. Yeah, it sounds well, like a second golden age right here. Chris. Well, that's interesting. I mean, what I take from that is people seem like they know a lot about Catholicism because they know Catholics and they know a lot about Catholicism. Me, but this is not right. Not, but not the case. do they? But do they? Okay. So now what I want to do, you guys, I'm going to share my screen so you can see. All right. Can you see this or no? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is the uh, Pew Research Center, U.S. Religious uh, Knowledge Quiz. And we are going to start the quiz right here. Do you see the questions? Uh, yep. No, I'm okay. in the booth in the You're, computer. Okay. I'll read them out loud, uh, yeah. Jesse. It, it well, also for our listeners, yeah. they might like that too. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, but yeah, I took this quiz earlier this morning. 15 How'd questions. I got 14 out of 15. Wow, you're a genius. Right. Yeah. Well, I had to guess at some. I'll tell you what. Does not sure about. count as a correct answer? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. So here's the first one. So, uh, right. So again, just so everybody's keeping track, this is the basis. This survey is part of the basis of the USCCB's Eucharistic revival because some of the answers that came out of this. All right, so here's 15 of the 32 questions. All right, which Bible figure is most closely associated with leading the Exodus from Egypt? Daniel, Moses, Elijah, Jesse. Let me list all the all the answers. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Moses, <clears throat> Joseph, or not sure. <clears throat> Go ahead, Jesse. Moses. Moses. Mm -hmm. Moses okay. supposes. Okay, that is such is a it, great scene. Is this a? Uh... Yeah. A Jesse and, and Dennis uh, yeah, yeah. group event? Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, we don't have to alternate unless you guys want to. I know you're very competitive. No, no, let's we'll make it a team event. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Question two Which I'll of the following win. is not one of the Ten Commandments? 
do not commit adultery, mm. keep the Sabbath holy, mm. do not steal, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Ding, ding, ding. Which one? Do unto do others. Un, do unto others. Okay. All right. Now they, they, they make you do the whole thing. I, I already looked up the answers. Now this is, and this is not just about a quiz about Christianity, right? This is about what do you know about religion? Okay, so here's the third one. In the Muslim tradition, believers have a religious obligation to make a pilgrimage to Islam's holiest city at least once during their lifetime, if they are able. Which city is that? Mecca. Jerusalem, Medina, Cairo, Mecca. Mecca. I'm sorry, I didn't wait again. Does this have anything to do with the Eucharist, Chris? What's going on here? Oh, you'll, you'll see. Hang on. Hang okay. on. So, so again, this Pew survey isn't about the Eucharist. It's not even about Catholicism. It's not even about Christianity. It's about what do Americans know about religion? Okay. So uh, number four, which Bible figure is most closely associated with willingness to sacrifice his son in obedience to God? Jacob, Cain, Levi, Abraham. Jesse. Abraham. No, Abraham. Jesse, Jesse was not an option. <laughs> All right, you guys are batting a thousand. Oh, let's get look at this. Ah. This is question number five. Which of the following best describes Catholic teaching about the bread and wine used for communion? The bread and wine A actually become the body and blood of Christ. B are symbols of the body and blood of Christ. Terrible, terrible question. A. This is why you need Catholics making these questions. You don't think the pews are Catholics? Or maybe I don't know, but anymore. Uh, man. You know, if they uh, symbol means something, actual means something. Right. Yeah. You mentioned this in the last podcast, Dennis. I mean, there's a, I mean, the catechism says the liturgy is woven from signs and symbols and a sacrament yep. is an outward sign. Right. So it's kind of, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, we might quibble with uh, some of the verbiage here, but uh, if you had to pick one and you do actually become. Okay. And again, notice too, this is uh, which best describes Catholic teaching. This isn't about what you believe. This is about what do you think the church believes. That's mm -hmm. a good point. That's a really good point. Well, see, then what they do is, like I said, here's 15 of the 32 questions. So uh, as I read through the script, if I understand it correctly, it says, if Catholic ask this follow-up question, which is, what do you personally believe? Right? Okay, let's go to the next one. According to the Catholic tradition, what is purgatory? An offering that Catholics make during the sacrament of confession to the purification process Catholics undertake during seasons of self-reflection, such as Advent and Lent. Three, where the souls of those who have died undergo purification before they enter heaven. Or number four, where the souls of evildoers go for eternal punishment after they die. Three. Three. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Which, so this is number seven of 15. Which religious tradition is most closely associated with yoga? Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, or Zoroastrianism? Hinduism. The Latin mass movement. <laughs> yes, I think Hinduism. Hinduism. Okay, that's correct. Uh, that, that's only because I really thought the answer was was buddhism but yeah. that wasn't an option so no no which religious tradition is most closely associated with kabbalah or kabbalah i'm sorry for not knowing how to pronounce that so it's k-a-b-b-a-l-a-h mm -hmm. i think is it's it kabbalah 
Is it Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, Zoroastrianism? Judaism. Whoa, show. Is it? Final answer. I was going to say Islam, but I don't know. Yeah, Jesse, I got it. I said Islam too. It's Dennis is right. It's Judaism. Oh. Just because I had a physics teacher in high school who was interested in the Kabbalah. His name was Ben Block. I believe he's still around. And whenever we were bored with physics, we would say, hey, what is this Jewish mysticism you're into? And then he would spend the next hour doing that. This is why we all failed our uh, AP exams. Oh, this is great. Dennis. See, I had yeah. to look it up. I didn't even know what it was. See, uh, if you don't grow yeah. up in Long Island, you don't meet people like this. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. So, yeah, it has to do with uh, it's a form of Jewish mysticism that apparently, according to Wikipedia, is how the uh, sort of transcendent, eternal, unchangeable God interacts with kind of the fallen, finite, uh, mortal world. Anyway. Yeah, so I learned something. Sounds like Christianity to me, but anyway, go ahead. Okay, number uh, nine. Which of the following is one of Buddhism's four, quote, noble truths, end quote? Number one, the truth that every living being has an immortal soul. Number two, the truth that Buddha was perfect and free from sin. Number three, the truth of monotheism. Four, the truth of suffering. Hmm. Which which one is one of the truths? Which mm -hmm. one of the following is one of Buddhism's four quote unquote noble truths? I my guess is the first one. What do you think? The, that the truth that every living being has an immortal soul. Yeah, I don't know this, but I would I would guess the fourth one, the truth of suffering, because Buddhism is very much about suffering and dealing with suffering and mm. uh, freedom from suffering. That's like one of their big things. So that yeah. would be my guess. Yeah, that was my guess too. And it was just a guess, but it happens to be right. So apparently, so then I looked up, what are the four noble truths? The first is something like the truth of suffering, which is what they list here. The second is tr the truth of the cause of suffering. The third is the truth of the end of suffering. And fourth is the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. Man, Dennis, you, know? you were really right. They love suffering. Mm -hmm. And they blame Catholics for this. Okay. Question 10. Which, uh, in which religious tradition are men generally required to wear a turban, like the one pictured below? Apologies to the viewers who can't see this, but what you'd see on your screen is a... Uh, you know turban. what a turban looks like, yeah. Uh, in public and to carry a ceremonial sword or small dagger. Answers are Islam, Sikhism, Hinduism, Buddhism. Sikhism. I'm going Sikh. Yeah, Sikh. Right. You shall find. There it is. All right. Number 11. On which day of the week does the Jewish Sabbath begin? Saturday. Saturday. Well, oh, no. Hey. Friday. 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 Sorry. Because it begins the night before. Is that right, Jesse? Well, I actually thought Saturday. And then when Dennis just said that, I'm going to go with Friday. Yeah, I think that's the key right there. On which day of the week does the Jewish Sabbath begin? begin? And yeah. so it begins with uh, sundown on Friday. Friday night lights. Then you better get someone else to light them for you. Number 12. Which of the following best describes the Christian doctrine of the Trinity? Number one. Let's say letter A. There are three patriarchs, parentheses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and parentheses. Letter B. There is one God in three persons, parentheses, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Letter C, the coming of Christ was foretold by three prophets, parentheses, Elijah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. Letter D, there are three gods, Father, Mother, and Son. Wow. Mm. 
Wow. It's hard to believe that anyone would say Father, Mother, and Son, but let's go with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, I wonder B. what... Uh... Like, oh, is there some three-God religion somewhere with Father, Mother, and Son? Could be. Uh, that could be some kind of creation uh, religion. I don't find the answer. Okay. Yeah. Which ones did you say? This one? One God and three persons. Yep. Okay. All right. 13. According to right. the Bible... Where did Jesus live during much of his childhood and young adulthood? Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Nazareth, Jericho. YMCA. Nazareth. Nazareth it is. All right. 14. Which of the religious groups traditionally teaches that salvation comes through faith alone? Protestantism, Catholicism, both Protestantism and Catholicism, neither. You easy Protestantism. Protestantism. Okay. And 15. What is Ramadan? A Hindu festival of lights, a Jewish prayer for the dead, an Islamic holy month, a festival celebrating Buddha's birth. Islamic holy month. Right. And we know it's not the Hindu festival of lights because of the that's Diwali. That's Diwali from the office. It's like uh, uh Halloween. I thought you were talking about the divine office for whatever reason, but no, just the, <laughs> just the comedy show. All right. Yeah, well, the office, the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's all context. So I think so the 15 out of 15. Well, yes. I changed the answer to one of them. I think you got one of them wrong. Did you? we get one wrong? That one about, did you get the Buddha one wrong? Or no, the... Dennis is, oh. Dennis is 15 for 15. The suffering one. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, you, you changed yeah. that on uh, Jesse. So I was only go. holding him back. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so this is the Pew Research Center's U.S. Religious Knowledge Quiz, right? And so the results of this came back, and the ones that really caught the bishop's attention again was that one about, uh, oh, where is it here? Uh, Which best describes the church's teaching uh, about the bread and wine uh, for communion, right? And so the answers were actually become the body and blood of Christ and are symbols of the body and blood of Christ. And see, now this... Again, this gets confusing to me because none of the other questions were like two of those could could be perceived as correct, mm-hmm. which is yeah. kind of confusing to me. Well, and again, there's so much, you know, processing of this data. Or is it data? Is it data? Data. Either um, one. Either. Um, right. So sometimes you see that this question is asked to all 11,000 participants. Sometimes you see the question asked to only Catholics. Right? So I've seen at least reporting of that, that the question are, is asked to Catholics, what is the church's official teaching about the bread and wine used in the Eucharist? And I've seen the result there that uh, you know, only 34, or what was it, only 43% um, believe that the church thinks that the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. So yeah, some of the, um, I'm just not smart enough to sort through all of this, uh, all of these results, but that's the big question that caught the bishop's uh, attention is this uh, kind of relatively low percentage of Catholics who are not thinking with the mind of the church on this. Yeah. Well, this is a proof that God can write straight with crooked lines, right? Because a bad question with bad answers that's vague and hard to answer nonetheless becomes the jump starting point for three years talking about the Eucharist. So yeah. Pretty yeah, good now, for that, right? Dennis, let me press you on that a little bit though. I mean, I, yeah, we were both reading uh, some, 
study about uh, you know the the wording of the question and maybe it wasn't as clear and things like that and but I mean what do you think if you could write the perfect question without any ambiguity or, or maybe you can't maybe the mystery of the Eucharist uh, precludes such a thing but if you could whatever the words might be write the question such that there was no confusion about what your options were I mean what do you think the percent uh, responses would be then well, it's hard to say. I mean, people might not believe it, but at least they would know what they're answering, right? You know, if you said something like, do you believe at mass that the bread and wine are transformed through through transubstantiation to maintain their appearance of bread and wine, but mm -hmm. become substantially the body and blood of Christ? I was or, thinking like a true false, you know? So right, but, the, but, the, but yeah, you think ahead. if you if that were one of the options, more uh, self-identified Catholics would uh, would say true or they'd, they'd select that? Well, maybe, but at least we'd have a more accurate understanding mm -hmm. of what people were saying. And if the other one said, no, it's simply a mere reminder of Jesus, okay. then you'd have a much more different choice. Right. And you could uh, at least make a choice that you would know what you're saying. Or yeah. even if it was similarly, you know, posed as the other ones, you know, they said. You know, cat. Uh, you know, which religion believes that? Mm. You know, mm. the you know, if they said Protestantism, Protestantism and Catholicism. You know, I I don't know. Maybe the format was the same, but that's that one seemed so weird. That it, is interesting it, that you would say that. I mean, I I'm not in this line of work, and so I don't understand how all these things happen. But, but when, right, when that they, is the, that was the one question that was different. In form, one of these yeah. things is not like the other. And right, isn't there a certain type of uniformity that uh pollsters and things want i don't know but that would be like saying with the sabbath question um the sabbath is on saturday but we just talked about how it actually begins on friday evening so it's like a nuance thing it's kind of a gotcha almost i, th I think so i think if mm. they i think if they would have posed it in the same format as those other questions maybe we wouldn't be in such a tizzy but also, maybe there wouldn't be, uh, you know, a reaction for this Eucharistic revival. I don't know. So yeah. maybe it's a good thing that they didn't yeah. do it. I don't know. Or consider this. So I was giving a talk in a parish last week on Eucharistic revival, and there are probably 40 people in the room. And, you know, we we're talking about the pew thing and whatnot. And and somebody raised, you know, the question, he says, but yeah, I mean, look, but take the 40 of us in this room. I mean, how many of us would answer that question? are merely symbols of the body and blood of Christ. And I, you know, I, I kind of thought it was a good point that, I mean, for, for Catholics who actually, who go to mass with some regularity, and I've seen, I don't know if it was this pew or maybe it was Kara study or something else is, you know, they, they would really parse this out between how often you go to mass and how regular do you practice. And, you know, it really makes a big difference. And uh, I think on the one hand, he was right. I mean, if, if you go to mass regularly, uh, that number is going to be rather high the percentage of catholics that believe that the bread and wine become the sacrifice of christ or the body and blood of christ on the other hand i mean only 30 percent of catholics are coming to mass and so probably that 70 percent who's not regularly coming to mass accurately reflect that catholics whether you practice or not um they don't have the faith of the church and they don't even understand what the faith they don't even know what the church thinks about for faith so but yeah the there's, nuance, there's a lot of questions the nuance of this too chris and i alluded to, to this last week is that in some ways okay like let's say everybody actually believed that but if they believed that and still somehow thought 
that receiving the Eucharist was a, this quote unquote spiritual vitamin pill that we talk about. If that was how they responded, that's still not really correct. And there's still a lot of work to be done. E- even if they said, you know, the majority, majority of Catholics said, yeah. that, there's still uh, more yeah. work to be done. Oh, that's true. So uh, before the same talk, and I, I confess this uh, at uh, that night of my talk, right? So I've, I've been working in the Dawson liturgy office now for 25 years. Right. So this is a short talk at a parish, you know, piece of cake on the Eucharist. I teach about this stuff all the time. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of fine-tuning my slides. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Is, is that right? And I'm, I'm grabbing the catechism off the shelf. I'm opening up old files. I got papers all over the place. And so, you know, just to your point, Jesse, I mean, uh, I got a long ways to go to understand uh, more of the mystery than I kind of thought I did. So, and yeah. what's more, there's knowing it and living it. That's uh, a whole nother level. Yeah, you know? yeah. I got a lot of issues there, but anyway. But this at least, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed taking this because everybody talks about the Pew survey, the Pew survey, the Pew survey, but who actually, let alone goes and reads what the actual results were or even takes it. So I hope this uh, gave you a little bit of insight into, you know, at least what's what's motivating the bishops to uh, inspire this Eucharistic uh, revival. Just for clarity here, Chris, yeah. that was the question that got the bishops all upset. That exam and that that test and that question. The answer the to that question. Yes. Wow. Well, all right. I mean, hey, I'm I'm all for a three-year Eucharistic revival, but I would be very suspicious of accepting that test yeah. as hard data yeah no that's it's true such well a weird way of putting it and it's about all your yeah. knowledge in general and yeah so. no i agree dennis i absolutely i agree with you but i mean on the other hand if they were never a pew survey right i mean look around our families our friends you know all these people that you know used to come to saint philip's parish or whatever but don't anymore i mean you're right on the one hand but on the other hand you don't need a survey to say you know our eucharistic faith is just not not being appreciated by mm-hmm. Catholics like they are. And I think they don't say this so much, but I think another thing that is on the bishop's mind. So they voted on this on November 21, November 2021. So what are we just sort of coming out of in November 2021? The pandemic yeah. closed churches. Yeah. And that just, I mean, think of what COVID did. I mean, think about what 9-11 did to uh, religious practice. I mean, it certainly gave it a huge spike initially. What did COVID do to religious practice? It took sort of a weak and anemic practice and just made it worse. And so I think that's in their mind, too, is that, uh, you know, whether it's decisions that bishops and pastors made or the decisions that the faithful made, COVID didn't do any favors to uh, Eucharistic uh, living. Um, So I think that's part of the equation, too. Yeah, I think the people who took this survey have been listening to the liturgy guys where we have defined symbol as sin and bowline to throw things together. And the symbol is the same idea of a sacrament. And they've read Carl Rahner's big complicated article. And therefore they found the question unsatisfying. And uh, Interesting. Again. Yeah. what I'd love to see if they had a real survey like this would, would be the Catholic church teaches that in transubstantiation, the substance changes. And even though the form remains the same, do you believe this? Yes or no. And then say, are you Catholic? You know, how many mm-hmm. times a month? go to church and so i think that would be a much more accurate assessment yeah. of what, what catholics think yeah i wonder you mentioned uh Kara studies before that's a georgetown university thing right oh uh, yeah uh so i wonder if they have done something like that but asked it in different ways but and if they have i mean is it going to jump from 31 percent to 57 percent or 45 percent or not but anyway 
whatever the whatever percentage you happen to fall in, uh, good listener. I mean, we we want to help uh, in our own little way in this podcast to to help the Eucharist to come to life. Yes, uh, in your own lives and those of your your corner of the world. Point well made, Chris. Well Thanks, done. Dennis. Yeah, that was that was great. I I really like that foundation because I think admittedly i was probably kind of just operating on what i thought i knew about the pew study and diving into it uh i thought was really great thanks for that appreciate it you bet all right uh time for a liturgy question yes jesse hey wait jesse that's my my it's my job hey jesse do we have a liturgy question chris do we have a liturgy question I just asked a bunch of questions. <laughs> That's true. We just had 15 liturgy questions, but we'll have one more. Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. All right, guys, this question comes from Andrew. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you were gonna be like. I thought you guys were gonna be like, "Hi, Andrew." I don't know why I thought that. All right. Yeah, and what's Andrew, the question? Andrew, all right, go low. start over. Start over. No, that was good. <laughs> no one's all right. On the cutting room. Okay. Right. No, that was good. I'm crying now. I was laughing so hard. All right. All right. Um... All right, guys, this week we have a question from Andrew. Andrew says, hello. (laughs) Andrew says, hello, liturgy guys. Chris, you already said that. You can't say it again. He says, Dennis, I have a feeling I already know how you're going to answer this question, but it pertains to TV screens or projectors in the nave of a church. Now hear me out. Hey, He says, now hear me out. I just want to know if you're going to do this are there any normative ways by which you can go about this so my my understanding is maybe this is it's already happening at his parish and he wants to know like if you have to do it it's not quite a hypothetical question after all it's a false Um, question really in some ways but nonetheless a reasonable question so as far as i know there aren't a whole lot of um kind of answer the question kind of questions out there like you may or may not there are a few things that chris has brought to my attention so i'll let him be the speaker mm-hmm. here yeah yeah oh well thanks there's uh it, it's, a, it's a tricky one uh, there are for the longest time i didn't think there was anything written uh about this i in one of dennis's favorite documents de musica sacra et sacra liturgia Yes, I sleep with that under my pillow. Yes, I mean, you like to 1958 instruction on sacred music and the sacred liturgy. It's it's on top of the Jean Heine book. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so it says some things about recorded music uh, in the celebration of the liturgy or in church, and it uh, does not want pre-recorded music. So it's at least addressing, in principle, the technology question, the sort of artificial technology. Is there another type of technology? I don't know. Um, is not to be real technology. Yeah, supposed to be <laughs> natural things. Uh, but I the, but see this really became a question, especially during uh, I think COVID times, right? Because hymnals were verboten for a while; mm-hmm. people couldn't be touching hymnals and things like that. And of course, there were a lot of people 
staying home and watching uh, live stream masses and pre-recorded masses of projections and things like that. And this, Although this up, was happening before, Chris. I mean, oh, this, this was the how can no, we be cool like the evangelicals down the street yeah, phenomenon. Yeah. You know, that's true. It, it it predated COVID, but I think it, that COVID poured the gas on the on the fire. And a it, it revealed a couple of things. Is is one is just there's all sorts of copyright issues that would sort of uh, um, you know uh, uh, what's the word here uh, reason against doing this because you can't uh, if there's texts that are copyrighted these could be scriptural texts they could be texts of music that you can't to display them as a type of uh, uh, copyright oh, yeah. infringement because you right. only have what's say in the book. And so you normally breaking. you would have to buy 100 to 200 hymnals and now yeah. you project it on the screen. You don't have to buy those anymore. Right. Right. And if, so, in fact, you need to have a streaming license to copy, to project things or to uh, live stream things. It's just even if you have the you've bought the hymnal, that is not the same license as it takes to project or to live stream. So that's a problem with the text, but also the music. If the music isn't in the public domain, meaning it's what, 100 years old or something like that, then the music is copyrighted too. So, you know, the biggest reason, I suppose, or a significant reason is that it it, it breaks copyright law. But the second, and the, the this is on the USCCB site, uh, it says, uh, do you have it there, Dennis? That, uh, Yes, USCCB I am so exquisitely prepared. The current policy of the Committee on Divine Worship is that permission is not granted to project readings and liturgical texts on screens during the liturgy. The bishops have the perspective that since so many people spend much of their time looking at screens, the sacred liturgy ought to be a prayerful break from that experience. I agree with that, although I don't think that in my mind that would be the first reason. The bishops also believe that screens are a distraction from what's actually what is actually taking place in the liturgy. Now, there you go. I would flip those around. If the altar is the focus of everyone's attention and you have two screens and suddenly the right side of the church is looking at the right screen, the left side of the church is looking at the left screen, you have two bodies now cut in half, nobody looking at the action of the head at the altar. And uh, certainly in my mind is a distraction. And for me, it's never ever ever liturgically appropriate to project things on a screen or on the wall or anywhere else yeah well said so the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> but that being said there is no like strict prohibition by you know footnote six of paragraph 12 right it's just current policy is that permission is not granted for yeah, putting liturgical well, texts on the screen because the, the usccb right? has the they're the copyright holders of the nabre right which is used for scriptures and they do not give permission to project those. Now, the, some of the, the music publishers and the USCCP did give permission for these live streams during COVID, but that's all gone away. So, mm. anyway. so copyright rescues us from our own inability to be liturgical. We'll take it. Yeah. All right, Andrew, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you. And God bless. God bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y.O.Y.O. Weiler. Our producers are Michael, Don't Be So Coy, and Nathan, First Round Draft Pippin. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. 
And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey, Shrivam, and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys. guys.